You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association. OEA Grow is by members for members. In Season 2, educators discuss conflict resolution strategies. Your host for Season 2 is OEA member Joyce Rosenau. Hello, this is Joyce Rosenau with another episode on our conflict resolution strategies. And today I'll be talking with Beverly Wilson about values, needs, and the neuroscience of conflict. Hello, Beverly. Hi, Joyce. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell yourself, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm Beverly, and I've been a, I was a teacher for about 20 years in middle school science. And before that, I worked with adults with developmental disabilities, homeless youth, and the Job Corps Center. And I have been in the mediation um, program through OEA for about three years, which has been fantastic. We've had, you know, our basic mediation training and ongoing education for all through before the pandemic and through the pandemic, which has been awesome. It not only helps me be a better mediator, but it also has so much um, application to my life. You know, just any, we all have conflict. And so with my husband, my children, my neighbors or whatever, it's given me more tools to navigate situations that might be a little tough. Good. And speaking of which, can you give us a brief definition or conflict. What is conflict? Well, I think when we talk about conflict, a lot of it is what we perceive as a disagreement or an incompatible difference. Um, and Or we feel like we have been wronged. But often what's underneath that feeling is when our, our values or needs or our identities even feel challenged when there, when there's some threat to that, um, then feelings like fear and shame can get involved in the conversation or the interaction that we're having. And then there's defensiveness and we start on this cycle of conflict, which then communication breaks down and we make mistakes. And I know we can all know that like, oh, I didn't understand that or I didn't mean that sort of thing when we address the conflict later. So what is the difference between values and needs? Well, needs are those um, universal cross-cultural things like food, shelter, clothing. And then we get more like into security, connection, significance. Um, Those Across cultures, we find it that they're, this, they're very similar. When it comes to values, those are often culturally defined. And they're things like punctuality, honesty, hard work, open-mindedness, efficiency, loyalty, those sorts of things. Our interests play into that because they're kind of a... a underlying needs and combinations of those so it can get a little more murky like freedom control understanding okay and even though people 
work together and they have the same values as far as they think education is important, people still have differences in how they think that should be played out. Absolutely. So tell me, what happens in my brain and in my body when I start to register a conflict is happening or about to happen? Well, I, you know, we are, we're programmed for survival. And in that, we're wired to detect any kind of danger. And, you know, we're not, we're not living in the wild or the savanna or like being chased by animals. So a lot of that has become through our social interactions because often our survival is dependent on that, right? Our jobs and our reputations and things like that. So we have the same reaction. Um, And it's our amygdala, when there's a sense of danger, that information travels to our amygdala fast. It doesn't go through our frontal cortex at all. The amygdala, amygdala, when it senses that threat, it floods our body with cortisol and adrenaline so we can respond to this danger. Unfortunately, when we're in a social situation, that's when we're like, we need our frontal cortex to engage and it hasn't quite engaged yet. So a lot of times we're doing things that we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that or I responded like that. And then even then more slowly, our frontal cortex is engaged. We still have that flood of adrenaline and cortisol in our bodies. So it's impacting our ability to think clearly. Um, So what happens is it doesn't just go away. The amygdala doesn't say, oh, time has passed. I'm fine. It really needs our frontal cortex to tell us we're fine. So that's what am I trying to say here? So then that's why it's really important to have some skills around how do we activate that frontal cortex in a situation where we do feel threatened. Good. So in my body, I may feel my heart start to race. I may feel get an anxious feeling. Um, and this is displayed differently in some people. Some people will become very loud and some people will become very quiet and not talk at all. Right. You know, one of the other things about this, Joyce, is sometimes this amygdala and this flood of cortisol and adrenaline is happening before we even detect it ourselves. I know I've been in this situation before, you know, either the one doing it or receiving it. But we all know when we're talking to someone or someone saying, oh, what's wrong? You know, if they're saying what's wrong and you're going, nothing's wrong, I'm fine. But they can tell because we have those telltale signs, right? Our faces may be a little flushed. We're more rigid. There's a change in our tone of voice. There's all these things that give us away. Um, So even before we know sometimes, if someone says, hey, are you okay? That might be that time to to pause a little and think, am I okay? (laughs) What's going on here? 
why are they asking me? <laughs> you know, those sorts of things. So we hear it all the time. Slow down, slow down. <laughs> Our temptation is to speed up, slow down. You know, the, the take the deep breath, refocusing your thoughts. But because we know the amygdala isn't just going to dissipate, it's also really important to have some tools around engaging our prefrontal cortex. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown. I love listening to her. I've read a number of her books. Um, she had this story about when she was swimming with her husband and she's like, isn't it great? We're out here together. Cause you know, they hadn't been for a long time and he was just like really short. And she goes on with the story, like the story she created in her mind of why he was doing that. And then the reality was, is he was actually having a panic attack himself. <laughs> so it's this great story. If you haven't heard it, go ahead and Google it. You can find it. Um, but the thing that really stuck with me is engaging that frontal cortex by saying, hey, you know, this is how I interpreted what you just said, which requires a lot of vulnerability. And for my husband, when there's been situations when I have not interpreted what he said very well, <laughs> I follow it up with knowing the truth about him. And I know you wouldn't mean this <laughs> so please help me clarify for me tell me what just happened or what you intended to say and that just thinking of the question and that process engages our frontal cortex reconnects us to the person and helps our amygdala just calm down um yeah that's that's been really useful for me in my life and you know the famous quote between stimulus and response, there's a space. And that's where we have the power to choose our response. So I've got the questions in my bank. You know, it's like if I can feel myself, I'm like, oh, so so what about this? You know, just like <laughs> explain it to me. And it also gives me time to gain my composure. Good. I've heard a couple of strategies. Um, I've heard that when we are starting to feel conflict, that we can slow ourselves down and breathe, that we can um, just stop for a couple seconds. We can ask the other person some questions. Um, do you have any other strategies for if, if I'm starting to feel like I'm getting upset or elevated, animated? Do you have any other steps for us to do? Yeah. So like if we're noticing that someone we're with is getting a little, and we're noticing that flush face and they're saying, I'm not mad, I'm fine. <laughs> we're like, no, you're not okay. Um, it's, you know, one of the things that's really stressed in mediation, but can apply to all of us is validating and empathizing you know, with whatever they are able to communicate, validate, like, yeah, I can, I hear that this is, you know, this is challenging, or I, I can see it's really important to you or something that they've already referenced, that you're validating what's going on for them. Um, and another is to summarize, you know, to ask, summarize and ask more questions. The, well, the first one 
is going to create the connection. The second one is going to help them engage their frontal cortex as well by saying, hey, you know, I heard you say this and this and I'm not sure I got it right. You know, what do you think? Or help me out with this. Or, you know, let me see if I understand what you're saying and summarize. So something that summarizes and then asks for clarification. We can always do that. You know, I definitely am learning with my husband to like notice even when he's elevated because he's the kind of person that gets a little more just shut down, a little softer, and it's harder to tell. Um, but those are great yeah. things all the time. That's good. Um, do you have anything else that you've learned in your mediation or in your studies that uh, you'd like to share with our listeners? Any other tips or any other? I mean, there's so much, you know, I've, I've been really loving reading, you know, books like conscious communication, nonviolent communication, just all of these books are really they're just so helpful when we're thinking about communicating and being clear and getting our needs met at the same time. Like if we're able to be better communicators, it goes better for everyone. Yeah, That's true. And um, Beverly and I are both um, mediators with OEA and We'd like to offer to all of our listeners that if you have a conflict, um, this conflict does not have to be huge. This does not have to be something that has been brewing for many years. Um, it can be a small conflict. It can be a big conflict. But to try to contact OEA, uh, either at mediation at OregonEd.org or go on the OEA website and they will set you up with a mediator. Beverly and I actually just did a case together last week. And um, pe some people will help you and talk you through this process and help you to resolve this conflict. Because you were saying before, even after the conflict, I may be affected for a while after. So I shouldn't just say, oh, the conflict, it happened. I was mad. Now I'm not mad. I should probably look through and reflect on that some more. Yeah, I think, you know, when we've had conflict, um, it's still, if we haven't changed the story, if we haven't clarified assumptions and aren't clearer on it, it still exists there and it gets in the way of us, you know, I know as a teacher doing our best jobs together and supporting each other. So it's important, even if we were like, we want so much to just move on and have a good relationship again. And I know I've certainly experienced this just riding on top of it. But then the next time something similar happens, I, I'm ignited more easily. So it's always mm -hmm. good to go back, clean up that mess so that we can all, you know, do our, do our best jobs together and support each other. And then also, I'm not sure if you mentioned it, Joyce, but we also do conflict coaching. And I know I did that with, with one person recently, and it was really powerful for this person to go into a situation with some more tools 
to communicate when there is this conflict going on but maybe the other person isn't interested or they just want more tools good well thank you very much beverly and i hope our listeners learned a little bit more about neuroscience and conflict thank you goodbye (laughs) thank you joyce bye-bye For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.